Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. 13th of the year 2000, the heavy metal band Metallica sued... <laughs> Stoner. Okay, so... <laughs> they sued Napster for $10 million. Here's how it happened. Metallica was in the studio working on a song called I Disappear for the soundtrack of the latest Mission Impossible movie. Mission Impossible 73, if I recall correctly. So one day, the members of the band were driving around, listening to the radio, and I Disappear came on, the song that they were working on, which sounds like a good thing, except it wasn't, because Metallica had not released the song yet. It was not fully mixed, and they would have told you that it was nowhere near ready for public consumption. So immediately, the members of Metallica called their representation and said, find out how this radio station got a hold of this song. So they did, and they got back to the band, and they said, Napster. Now, if you're a little bit younger and you don't know what Napster is, Napster was the original file-sharing platform for computers. Okay, so what Napster allowed people to do would be to load music onto their computer by using a CD and a CD-ROM drive. Okay, so if you're too young to know what a CD and a CD-ROM drive is, Google it, whippersnapper. I don't have time to walk you through the entire thing, okay? So anyways, you could load songs onto your computer, and almost instantly, people around the world could download those same songs. At this time, Napster had about a million people using the service. Now, originally it was just music, but eventually it was TV shows and movies, and after Napster came Morpheus, after Morpheus came LimeWire, after LimeWire came GrooveShark, and hundreds more. But at this time, Metallica gets together, they go on to Napster to look for this song, I Disappear, and they found it. They also found every song that they had ever released, available worldwide for free. So they sued Napster for $10 million, and Metallica won. The weird thing is, though, even though they won the case, they kind of lost in the court of public opinion. People saw Metallica as a bunch of greedy tyrants. In fact, some of the world's first viral videos were made at this time to make fun of Metallica. Like the lead singer and the drummer were portrayed as buddy cops that went roaming around college campuses looking to bust kids for listening to free music or the members of Metallica as a bunch of gold Lamborghini driving, privileged people just wrecking everybody else's uh, right to party. So millions of Metallica fans became ex-fans almost overnight. They said, like, doesn't Metallica have enough money to go after these poor music lovers? Now, incidentally, you know what's kind of funny about that? Is in the year 2000, you needed a computer to operate Napster. And really the only people in the year 2000 who had an interest in Napster and a computer were upper middle class white kids. Anyways, people still saw Metallica as greedy, yet Metallica countered and said, look it, stealing is still stealing, isn't it? And we kind of want control over our own art, but they couldn't turn the tide of public opinion. Metallica were greedy tyrants, Napster was like the underdog, just fighting for the right to party. It's an interesting thing, because commentators say that that was an important moment in our cultural history, believe it or not. 
that was an important moment in our cultural history. In that moment, a majority of the people in our culture, or at least the majority of the people that kind of set the tone and set the opinions in our culture said this, Napster is stealing, but we don't care. Napster is stealing, but we actually don't care. It reminds me a little bit of this old book called Everything I Learned, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I'll read you some excerpts. It says this, say your story when you hurt somebody. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. <laughs> Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. <laughs> when you go into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together. I find that interesting because I don't think I really grasped that when I was in kindergarten. Maybe it's like everything I needed to know I learned in the gifted kindergarten class that Mike Manis was not in, okay? But here's the point. Most of that is logical, right? Most of that actually just makes sense. Here's what's interesting about you and me. When it comes to the journey that we're going to take in life, when it comes to the direction that we're going to pursue, when it comes to the decisions that we're going to make, there's kind of three main parts of us that make those decisions that chart that course. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so we can look at something sometime and we can say, that makes sense. Don't hit people. It's logical. And yet every once in a while, our will and our emotions can go, I don't like it. And what they will do in that situation is that our will and our emotions will gang up and literally change our mind. Okay? Remember the earlier example. Napster is stealing. This is logical, right? Our mind says, that's logical, probably shouldn't steal. But our will and our emotions maybe say this, but I want free music. I, I, I feel like free music that's desirable to me, that's comfortable to me, that's easy for me, that's fun for me. So our will and our emotions gang up and literally change our mind. So we look at this list, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten, don't hit people. Logically, our mind says, I probably shouldn't hit people, but our will and our emotions say, but I really want to. <laughs> I just want to hit people, you know? It's fun, it's comfortable to me, I enjoy it. And then our will and our emotions gang up and literally change our mind. I mention all of that to you. Because we're about to step into step nine. See, we've been in this series based on the 12 steps of recovery. And I want to tell you something that I've told you before. That in August of 2022, I really believe that for you and me, it's been a crazy last few years. And more than anything else, what I want for me and what I want for you is I want us to turn the page. 
I want us to turn the page. I want, I want to turn the page on the dysfunction. I want to turn the page on the rage. I want to turn the page on our painful moments. I, I want to turn the page on our compulsions. I want to turn the page on anxiety. I want to turn the page on depression. I want to turn the page on our destructive habits. But it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just magically happen. So for a lot of us, we look and go, well, finally, man, I don't have to wear a mask anymore. This is great. Everything's awesome. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. We have to consciously make a decision, you and me, to turn the page. And that's why we've been walking through this step by step by step. But now we're in step nine. And here's what I think about step nine. I think your mind is going to go, that makes sense. That's logical. And then I think your will and your emotions are gonna go, no. Mm -mm. That ain't fun. It's not easy. It's not enjoyable. I do not desire it. And your will and your emotions are gonna look to gang up and change your mind. I'm warning you. <laughs> Step nine of the 12 steps of recovery. We wanna turn the page. We wanna turn the page. If there's anything I could tell you in August of 2022 that you and me need, we need to turn the page. Last week, we talked about step eight. Step eight says this, make a list. Make a list of all the people you've hurt and become willing to make amends, right? Make a list of everybody that you've hurt and be willing, and it's quite an extensive list too because you're gonna make a list of people who hurt you first. So step eight says, make a list of everybody you have hurt and then become willing to make amends. Well, you know where I'm going here. Step nine says this. Just do it. Make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so to injure them or others. Step nine says make amends. Last week when we talked about making a list, I said it's about compassion. It's about compassion, looking back at the people that we've heard and feeling a sense of compassion. And in order to have compassion, we have to be willing to take responsibility. Well, today when we actually make amends, I would suggest to you and me, this is about humility that this is about humility. And everything that I needed to know about humility, I learned in kindergarten. Because you know, in this context, you know what humility looks like? Clean up your own mess. You can actually be a humble person, you can actually have humility, then you need to be willing to clean up your own mess. You know that, right? Maybe you've lived with a roommate or a family member don't bump them, they shall remain nameless, and they just don't clean up after themselves. And maybe you've never thought about it this way, but it's arrogant. Be because when they walk away from the mess they made, what are they saying? Someone else can do this. I'm more valuable than them. My time is more important than them. Someone else who's not as important as me can clean up this mess. What is true for a kitchen is true in your life. Actual humility says, I am willing, I am willing to clean up my own mess. There's a lot of people that you look at in the world and you go, that person is a really humble person, but they ain't willing to go here. They're not willing to do this. Because their will and their emotions gang up and change their mind. Their will and their emotions go, make amends. Clean up my own mess, that's not fun. That's not easy. I do not desire that. 
and yet we're called to be humble. And humble people clean up their own mess. I think it's Philippians chapter two that says this, that our attitude ought to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then in humility, listen to this, in humility, we consider others more valuable than ourselves. That we value others above ourselves. So what's true in the kitchen is true in our lives. Clean up your own mess. So how do we make amends? Well, it's kind of a four-step process. Step one, we talked about already, make a list. Make a list, make a list of the people you've hurt, even the ones that hurt you first. Step two, feel compassion. Feel compassion. This, this isn't a manufactured remorse, but this is actually put your ego down, put your arrogance down, put your pride to the side for a second, and actually feel a sense of compassion for the people that you have hurt. Step three, take responsibility. This is what some might refer to as, this is when you make the apology. And by the way, your mind gets this, this is where your will and your emotions, they are going to start working over time to convince you not to do this. Because this isn't fun. This isn't fun. This isn't easy. This isn't comfy. Your will and your emotions are gonna work overtime to convince your mind not to do this. They're gonna try to muddy the waters. There's four ways that they will muddy the waters to prevent you from actually taking responsibility. Here's the first. They're gonna tempt you to keep it vague. To keep it vague. Just be really vague. Don't take responsibility, just be really vague. Say something like this. Sorry about that thing back then. Pardon? I'm sorry about that thing back then. What? Oh, I'm sorry about that thing back then. Well, you articulated that really well, Mike. Good job. It's still completely vague and meaningless. It's just a jumble of words. Another way that we can keep it vague is this, this one drives me nuts. <clears throat> if you're ever tempted to say this, what I was going to say is slap yourself upside the head, but someone said to me the other day that I'm a little bit too mean when I preach. So let me change that. If you're ever tempted to say this, give yourself a light tap on the side of your melon. Okay, how does that? Is that better? But do, honestly do. If you're ever tempted to say the... Here it is. You ready? I'm sorry that you feel that way. That's not taking responsibility. That's weird. It's such a weird thing to say. It's so vague and it's so meaningless. What do you, did you do something wrong? Then apologize for what you did. If you didn't do anything wrong, well, don't be weird. Don't apologize. You pick. I'm sorry that you feel that way is vague and it's not taking responsibility. G.K. Chesterton said this, a stiff apology is a second insult. The injured party does not want to be compensated because he has been wronged. He wants to be healed because he has been hurt. This is not a legal transaction. From your heart, remember, here was the list. Make a list. Feel compassion. And then from your heart, take responsibility. But your will and your emotions aren't going to want you, so they're going to tempt you to keep it vague. Second, hyperbole. Hyperbole. Um, I'm a gross and disgusting piece of garbage, the worst human being who's ever lived, and I deserve to be incinerated for what I did. Well, not really. Not really. And now I feel kind of sorry for you. Was that your purpose, to come to me? To take responsibility or to elicit my pity? Hyperbole doesn't work. Take responsibility. Be direct. 
Be specific. Don't be hyperbolic. I have no idea what that word means, but it sounded really smart. <clears throat> the third way that your will and your emotions are going to tempt you to muddy the waters is this. Just place blame. Make excuses. Right? Something like this. Um, I was going through a really hard time when you stabbed me in the back. I'm sorry I responded poorly. <sighs> That's not taking responsibility. What, what you're there to do is take responsibility for you. Don't make excuses. Don't place blame. I think Benjamin Franklin said this way, don't ruin an apology with an excuse. In recovery circles, they say it this way, sweep off your side of the street. Just sweep off your side of the street, that's it. Your will and your emotions are gonna wanna muddy the waters, keep it vague, be hyperbolic, make excuses, and finally, be a psychoanalyst. Be a psychoanalyst, in other words, decide for them how they're feeling. So you say something like this, I'm sorry that I made you so jealous. How do you know they're jealous? That's not your job. I'm sorry that you felt like such a failure every time you were around me in all my glory. You don't know that they felt like a failure. Here's what it sounds like to actually take responsibility. I'm sorry that I tried to make you jealous. That's it, so let's review. Making amends means this, clean up your own mess. Clean up your own mess. How do you do that? Well, number one, you make a list. Number two, you feel compassion. Number three, you actually take responsibility. We're not being vague here. We're not making excuses here. We're not psychoanalyzing here. We're not being hyperbolic. We're actually taking responsibility. And then step four, make it right. Make it right. A little complicated. There's a relatively small group of people that you'll be able to pursue restoration. So when I, when I say make it right, for, for a relatively small group of people, you'll actually be able to pursue restoration. In other words, restore that relationship, just as good as it's ever been. That won't always be possible. There will be people in your life who you have harmed, and they don't like you anymore, and they don't want anything to do with you anymore, or, or, or they think you're dangerous, or maybe they're actually dangerous. And restoration isn't possible. Now, I've been very, very blessed in my life. I've had a lot of chances to make amends to people, because I've made some mistakes in my life. And almost every single time, shockingly, almost every single time, I've been able to experience restoration. And I would even go as far as to say this, the relationship was stronger after, when I was humble enough to go to them and say, I was wrong. So a relatively small group of people, you can actually seek restoration, but if restoration isn't possible, here's the next, Goal, the next goal is resolution. So even for those who you can't pursue restoration with, you can pursue resolution. Resolution is this, shut down the chaos. Shut down the chaos. Shut down the revenge, and the gossip, and the grudges, and all the chaos that goes into whatever was going on between you and that person. It might mean going to the people that you've been gossiping with and say, no more. We're not doing that anymore. I thinking we all want the world to change, you know? I think it's a good thing. We all want the world to change. We all want our families to change. We all want our friend groups to change. We all want our marriages to change. I think that's all good. You know what's a lot tougher, though? 
than just this desire, this nebulous desire that everything out there will change? Changing ourselves. It's a little tougher. And I would say we look at the world today and we say, man, I'd, lo- I'd love there to be peace. Peace in our world. Well, here's how you can do your part. If there is somebody in your life right now and you've wronged them, you've hurt them somewhere along the line and that relationship is chaotic, there's revenge, there's gossip going back and forth, shut it down. Stop it. Jesus said it this way, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're gonna be called children of God. So with a relatively small group of people, making it right means restoration. Let's restore that relationship. For a larger group, even for those who you can't pursue restoration, you can pursue resolution. Shut down the chaos. And then for almost everybody, even if you can't pursue restoration, you can't pursue resolution, you can pursue restitution. If you owe the money, pay it back. If you owe the money, pay it back. Even if it was a long time ago. If you broke something, fix it. Or pay to get it fixed. If you took something, replace it. Step eight, make a list. Step nine, make it right. How do you do that? Humility. Humility cleans up our own mess. A couple years ago, my wife Corinne preached a sermon here at Southside, and she talked a lot about how every one of us in some areas of our life, we gotta turn the page. We gotta turn the page. We gotta turn the page. And I wanna suggest to you that in August of 2022, every single one of us, we gotta turn the page. That for some of us, our, our story is stuck on a bad part. Your story is stuck. There's an aspect in your life that's stuck on a bad part, and it's time, it's time in 2022, August, to turn the page. That's what we all want, you know? And that's what the church teaches, by the way. The church teaches that we can all turn the page. And the first way we do that is we call out to Jesus. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 3, 16 says it this way, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know what everlasting life is? It starts right now. And part of it is turning the page. That if I've been carrying around the weight of baggage and regrets and shame and humiliation around with me every day of my life where the humiliation of my past is destroying my present, Jesus says, I went and died on the cross. Give it to me. Let's put it to death. That's step one. That's step one of getting past our past. That's step one for those of you who feel like my story is stuck on a bad part and I need to turn the page. That's how you do it. That's step one. You call out to Jesus. You move past your past. If your story is stuck on a bad part, you turn the page. And yet. And yet. I would suggest to you that the North American church is absolutely full of people who have called out to Jesus and yet still have their story stuck on a bad page. Still have their story stuck in a bad part. See, the Bible says that when we follow Jesus, when we follow Jesus, when we follow him, you know what we'll start to experience? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And yet there's so many people in churches around North America today who would say this, man, I've, I've called out to Jesus. I have. 
I know that my sins are forgiven and my eternity is secure. And yet, I don't feel love. I don't. I feel rage. I feel anger. I feel isolation. I don't feel love. I don't feel joy. I feel miserable. I feel this overwhelming sense of self-pity. I don't feel joy. Where's the joy? I don't feel peace. So many in August of 2022 would say this, where's the peace? I cried out to Jesus. I know my sins are forgiven. I know my eternity is secure. Where's the peace? All I feel is anxiety and stress and worry. Bible says that when you follow Jesus, he gives you a new spirit. Not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And yet, so many in August of 2022 would say this, courage? I don't feel courageous. I feel so incredibly scared. Well, how in the world could that be? There's more than one step. If your story is stuck on a bad part, there's more than one step to turn the page. So number one, you call out to Jesus, and then you gotta follow him. And Jesus says this, listen, this is really, really important. Jesus says this, forgive those who have hurt you as you have been forgiven. Your story is stuck on a bad part. You've called out to Jesus, and now Jesus says, hey, I want you to turn the page. I really want you to turn the page. So can we, can, can we stop clinging on to the painful past so we can take a hold of the joyful present? I want you to turn the page. So you, so you have to forgive those who have hurt you as you have been forgiven. Why? Because bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the person who hurt you to die. And yet, and yet, There's so many people in so many churches just like this who would say this. I've cried out to Jesus. He's forgiven my sins. He's secured my eternity. And to the best of my ability, I, I have forgiven those who hurt me. And I'm still not feeling courageous. And I, feel, and I still feel like my story is stuck on a bad part that there's this area of my life where my story is stuck on a bad part and I want to turn the page. I've cried out to Jesus. I've forgiven those who've hurt me to the best of my ability. When they come into my mind over and over and over again, I just let it go and let it go and let it go. Why is my story still stuck on a bad part? Jesus says, follow me. And in Matthew chapter five, he said it this way. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship, and about, listen to this, and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, then and only then, come back and work things out with God. That's it. That's the tough one. For so many of us, our, our stories are stuck. You're stuck. Or there's an area of our lives that we would say, man, my story is stuck on a bad part and I want to turn the page. This is how you do it. Number one, you call out to Jesus. Spiritually speaking, you're saved. You're free. All of it. But existentially, there's more steps. Forgive those who have hurt you as you have been forgiven. And then clean up your own mess. 
It's actually amazing because when Jesus spoke this, the, the place of worship that he was referring to was the temple in Jerusalem. The, the place of worship that Jesus was referring to was the temple in Jerusalem. You know where, you know where Jesus is giving this sermon? Overlooking a city called Capernaum. Nine days journey from Jerusalem. So make sure you understand this. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're about to think that you're gonna just turn the page and you remember somebody has a grudge against you, walk away for nine days. Make it right and then you're gonna be able to turn the page. I actually really wonder what it would look like if people in churches just like this would actually be willing to not only cry out to Jesus, that's awesome, amazing, I love it. I'll never stop preaching about Jesus and the power of the gospel. And the minute that we call out to him, we are saved and we are free and our eternity is secure. But I wonder what would happen if people in churches just like this would not only cry out to Jesus, but be willing to forgive those who have hurt them as they have been forgiven. And what if, listen, what if just the people here today and watching online today were willing to say this, you know what? I'm gonna clean up my own mess. I'm gonna find the people that I've hurt in my life and I'm gonna do my best to make it right. It would change the world. I think logically it makes sense, right? Like our mind gets it. But our will and our emotions, our will and our emotions, our will and our emotions, it doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound easy. It does not sound comfortable. And so our will and our emotions look to gang up and change our mind. In fact, I would suggest that there are probably many people watching this online or listening right here today and someone has come into your mind. I would suggest before you walk out of the doors of this church or before you shut down your computer today, you come up with a plan of what you're going to do to make it right. Because, because by the time you walk into the kitchen, by the time you drive out of this parking lot, your will and your emotions will already have decided and convinced your mind And then what happens? Your story stays stuck. Your story stays stuck. And the world, your family, your friends, they don't see the love and the joy and the courage and the hope and the life from you that they should. Your will and your emotions are gonna come after your mind and explain it away in all sorts of ways. Number one, they're gonna tell you this. You're always right. No one overarchingly thinks, I'm always right, I've never been wrong. <laughs> Maybe some people do, but, but most people don't, okay? But, but case by case, your will and your emotions will come to your mind to convince you, oh yeah, I'm, I am right in this situation, just in this one. That person that you were gonna go and make it right with, your will and your emotions are gonna convince you, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't really do anything wrong. You will judge yourself according to your intentions. You will judge them according to their actions. You will come up with all kinds of excuses and place blame in all sorts of ways. And you will walk away. The second way your will and your emotions will try to change your mind is just, we already talked about it, blame. Blame and excuses. You sweep your own side of the street, 
right? That's it. You just sweep your own side of the street. I know it's annoying, right? Because you think to yourself, there's somebody in your life that you've done this much to, and they've done this much to you, okay? And you're going to them, and you're going to make it right. And what you hope is that they're going to look at you and go, well, actually, I owe you an apology also, and I'm going to, what if they don't? No, what if they don't? Oh, then understand this. You're there to sweep off your side of the street. You let them worry about their page that's stuck on a bad part. You let them worry about that. I heard a counselor the other day talking about recovery. He said, when it comes to making amends, make four lists. Now, later, maybe, never. (laughs) Now, later, maybe, never. Now, later, maybe, never. When you think of people you need to make amends with, think of the people that you're willing to go to right now. Think of the people that you're willing to go to later. Think about the people that you might be willing to go to sometime. And then there's a list of people. I'm never going to them. And she said it this way. She said, don't put pressure on yourself. Just do it this way. Start with the now list. And when, when you're done the now, you might find, I'm ready to do the later. And when you're when you're finished the later, you might find that you're ready to do the maybe. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, when you're done the maybe, you might, you might, you might be willing to do the never. One last way that your will and your emotions will convince your mind not to do this is they'll just tell you it's scary. Scary. My grandson Noah always says, Papa, it's scary. It's so scary, so scary. And your will and your emotions will come to your mind and say, it's so scary. It's so scary. Because you don't want to open up the can of worms. You say you don't want to open up that can of worms in your life. And here's what's crazy. Please hear me when I say this. The can of worms is open. You need to close it. You need to turn the page and here's what I think I think that there's a desire inside of every one one of us to change this world I do I think there's a desire inside of every one of us to change our family to change our friend group to change our team to change our neighborhood to change our environment I really do and I think and I know and I believe absolutely that the easiest way to do that is for you, for you, for you to turn the page. Your story is stuck. If you find yourself in an area of your life right now and you would say, my story is stuck on a bad part, I want you to turn the page. How do you do that? Well, number one, you cry out to Jesus. You do. He came, he died and rose again so that you can rise to a life worth living. Absolutely, that's step one. And then step two, you do forgive those who have hurt you as you have been forgiven. And it's not a one-time thing. They might come into, they might frost your flakes every time they come into your mind. And yet you let it go, you let it go, you let it go. And you really want to turn the page in August of 2022. You really want to? I do. I really do. Then, not only do you cry out to Jesus, not only do you forgive those who have hurt you, but you know what else you got to do? I clean up your mess. change the world.
Philippians 2. Let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That in humility, in humility, what if God's people lived in humility? In humility, value others above yourself. Now we're turning pages. Now we're turning pages. Clean slate, fresh start. Let's pray. So God, I pray that for every single person watching online right now, for every single person here in, right here in Chilliwack, God, that you would allow us to turn the page. In whatever area of our life is stuck, that today we would turn the page. And with all heads bowed and with all eyes closed, I guess I wanna talk first of all to you. If, if you've never cried out to Jesus, I talked about it in my sermon, but he came and he died and he rose again so that you don't have to carry the baggage and the regret and the shame and the humiliation for one more second. When Jesus died on the cross, he came to, take, to put your sin and your regret and your shame and your humiliation to death. Give it to him, give it to him. And when he rose again, his offer is very simple. Why don't you rise up to, to a life worth living, to the life that you were created to live? So if you've never invited Jesus to be your savior and to be your Lord with all eyes, closed and with all heads bowed, can you just raise your hand because I want to pray with you right now. Nice and high if you don't mind, that's amazing. Amazing. If you're watching online right now, I invite you just to raise your hand also. If this is your moment, it's powerful, powerful moment. Yeah, if your hand is up, you can put it down. I'm going to pray out loud and I invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross and the only thing you want from me is my sin and my shame and my regret and I give it all to you and I walk away. Thank you for making me new. And Jesus, I thank you that you rose. Give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time into a better tomorrow, into a better tomorrow. Change me and use change me to change this world. And for those of us who have been in church, been around, this culture forever. God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the strength to let go, to let go of those who have hurt us, that we would forgive instead of clinging on to the painful past, wondering why it's poisoning our present. And for everybody watching online and in person right now, including me, God, would you give us the humility, please, to be people who are willing to make it right, to clean up our mess, to own what we need to own, to turn the page that's been stuck too long. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate church for a second? I love you guys a lot. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.